Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and there is a non-denominational retreat weekend at the Resolution Center of Jacksonville, Florida. This will be a time of support and renewal for grandparents and parents on the journey of parental alienation, standing strong in resilience, paving the way for good health and a great future. This will take place April 22nd through the 24th at the Resolution Center of Jacksonville, Florida. I will have all the details in the podcast notes. I have a brand new guest. I'm proud to announce I have Todd Bensman. He is a full-time Texas-based Senior National Security Fellow for the Center for Immigration Studies, a DC-based policy institute examining immigration, and he is author of America's Covert Border War. This was published February 23rd, 2021. He is he joined CIS following nine years in counterterrorism intelligence, and before that, a two-decade-long career as a journalist. He writes, speaks, and grants media interviews as an expert on immigration security and counterterrorism, about which he has testified before Congress. So we have a lot to talk about. I welcome you, Todd Benson, to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, how did you get involved in all of this, you know, um, when you started out in your career? Well, I was a journalist for 23 years, so uh, I guess I count as a recovering journalist. (laughs) And um, I was a newspaper reporter, so in Texas. And that kind of put me in um, proximity to the border and Mexico and border Mexico issues. And I did a a lot of coverage, a lot of stories about the border. And uh, when 9-11 happened, I was working for the Dallas Morning News covering the FBI. And Dallas is the headquarters for American Airlines. So the the main investigation ended up as it was an epicenter in Dallas. And so I kind of got sucked into the whole vortex of uh, you know, terrorism and counterterrorism, and it never really uh, ended for me. I just kept going with that and the border, and it all kind of connected later. Then I was um, recruited to the Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division of the Texas Department of Public Safety, which is our big state police agency here. And I worked for that for them for nine years. I kind of disappeared, you know, because. Uh, intelligence people don't write stories anymore. Mm-hmm. In 2018, I was uh, recruited by the Center for Immigration Studies, and that's where I am now. The last few years I've been with them. So are you kind of relieved you're out of the intelligence part? Oh, you know, I missed it. It was I still miss it a little bit. It was a, it was a really interesting career. It was a good career, and uh, I guess I kind of missed uh, writing and reporting again. So I kind of have come full circle, but I don't know if I'm a journalist anymore, but I definitely uh, am writing and thinking and communicating about these issues now. You know, with the um, federal terror watch lists, how, you know, how often, I don't know much about this, like, uh, this checked quite a bit, I'm sure. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh, you've also been um, a journalist for the Dallas Morning News, CBS, and Hearst Newspapers. 
as well as others. So, you know, you've got an extensive career. You know, how, if a young person is looking to get into this, how do they do that? Well, uh, you know, I just started out, I wanted to be a reporter. So, you know, I went to college, I had a, got my undergrad uh, in journalism and my graduate degree in journalism. So, you know, I just used those to go get a job with a newspaper and, you know, that's what I did. Uh, you know, I don't, nowadays it's all different. So, uh, you know, that dates me. This is all pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's, uh, you know, there are lots of different publications. There's online ones. There's, you can make your own, you can be your own journalist now mm-hmm. um, and have your own sub stack and everything's all sort of um, fractured and different now. For that so i don't know how you do that nowadays mm-hmm. uh, so like when you wrote this book um how long did it take you to write america's covert border war america's covert border war is really a uh it's an aggregate of everything that i learned when i was a journalist and an intelligence uh practitioner uh, so I, I kind of put as much of it together as I could without ending up in prison or something for, you know, breaking classified rules, laws, law, classified protection laws. But, um, you know, I started uh, writing about this issue of people coming in from Iraq over the border, which was really struck me as unusual. Nobody had ever reported that. Uh, and I was a reporter in San Antonio at that time with proximity to the border. So I just started writing about reporting about like, how are these people getting all the way from Iraq and Syria over the Texas border? What? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I ended up traveling to Syria and Jordan and Guatemala, Mexico. I went all over the world tracking this, these trails and, uh, wrote a bunch of stories, uh, and and um, I think I might have been the only one who'd ever written or raised the issue that maybe people could do something. Uh, there was an access to the border. Uh, and then when I went over to the intelligence side, I discovered this whole world of uh, federal investigators and intelligence people who were working on this issue all the time, keeping the country safe from it. And I joined in with them and worked on it uh, for nine years as an intelligence person. So I already had this expertise down from from journalism. And then I worked it from a uh, law enforcement, national security perspective. So I really got a a really interesting view on an issue that is controversial, to say the least, because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that just don't believe this, that it doesn't exist. and. I was with the Center for Immigration Studies when Donald Trump came out with, hey, you know, terrorists are crossing the border. And, you know, everybody jumped on him and said, you're a liar. It's not true. None of that's true. And it, it made me angry because I, I had been working for years and years on the problem with federal people that do this for a living. This is their day job. Uh, so I decided at that point, I was going to put everything I had into a book and Mm -hmm. publish the book. And that's, this is the result of it. Uh, you know, the book really is just a revelation of the counterterrorism programs that we as a nation 
put out after 9-11. We unfolded these really interesting counterterrorism programs at the border and in Latin America. And in my, my opinion, that's what's kept us safe from that kind of an attack, that sort of a, of a from the, the, the rear uh, entry, you know, the, mm-hmm. the back flank. And so um, it's really just a piece of journalism about what that is and what the whole issue is. And, you know, I, the book doesn't, it's not out there going, oh my God, the terrorists are coming, the terrorists are coming. It's really about the, the counterterrorism programs of that, that, that um, try to counter that issue. Well, I always thought even when 9-11 happened, I don't know why the U.S. just didn't close the borders. Well, they did. They did for a while. Uh, that, was, that was the initial presumption was, well, they're coming after us. So we have to start looking for every possible way to defend. And uh, the border was an obvious place. Everybody knew it at that point in time. And so they did. They closed the border for a week, a couple weeks or something, but then they had to open it because we have commerce. But they had to put these these uh, counterterrorism programs in that I talk about, and I just call it America's covert border war, um, to um, you know make sure that they're not in front of Congress explaining why they didn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they had to do something down there because the border is. Um, connected by you know 20 to 25 26 contiguous countries really the whole world mm-hmm. come right through there all the borders unlike canada which mm-hmm. i guess unless you come in by air or a ship or something you're you know parachuting into the yukon or something with a dog mm-hmm. sled team that's about <laughs> right about it but the southern border is very different uh because it has lots of other countries that that connect to it and are porous and corrupt mm-hmm. and have airports. So when they stopped building this wall, um, I had a friend who went down there on a vacation and um, she said that some people got together and collected $30 million and they built along with the wall. They continued it, but she said there's still parts of the wall that are just laying there getting rusty. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, yeah, that is true. I've been down there. I've climbed all over those uh, rusty piles and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, the, the wall, Trump's wall actually is not his idea. I mean, this thing goes back to 2006. Mm-hmm. It's a bilateral uh, support. Uh, for building a wall. We put a lot of money. We had we passed an act of Congress, the 2006 uh, law to build the fence. And we did. We For, for years, we built that wall and then they just kind of ran out of money and didn't re-up it. But uh, the wall walls work to a, a, a very significant extent in, in that it, it definitely deters pedestrian traffic. You know, grandma and children are not climbing 30 feet high on a ladder. I'm mm-hmm. not doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe some really Olympian young drug smuggling men might do that. And mm-hmm. there's video of those guys doing it, but there aren't that many Olympian, 
Olympiads out there willing to uh, do that sort of thing. And so it forces people who would cross and smugglers to go wherever there's no wall. They avoid it. And you can see that down there. I spent a lot of time on the border and you, you could, you know, wherever there's a wall, there's like almost nothing happening. If you want to see anything happening, you have to go to the gaps between the walls and then there's all kinds of action. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, walls definitely work as long as you have patrols and people on the other side of it, uh, you know, working it with cameras and tech and all that. Uh, so when they stopped the wall, they did leave, you know, huge gaps and that's where they come in. That's where they're all coming through. That's where they, that's where, where all the action is to this day. They, it's, it says something to me that, uh, that there's no action at the walls, you know, mm -hmm. or why would there be, you know, it's just, you got to take the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. Well, how much money would you say is laying there in the desert with all this rusted walls laying around that should have gone up? Oh, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, I, I think it's billions, actually. Uh, you can find these these piles, you know, all along the, I mean, some of them are big yard. They're like scrap yards that go for acres and acres and acres. And, you know, you can, I was with some friends one time, uh, reporter friends who had a drone and they just flew this drone high and low over this thing. And it's just acres and acres and acres of, you know, 15, 20 foot high piles of, of panels and all the other stuff that goes with it, uh, you know, concrete. And mm -hmm. uh, I was there on the day that they stopped construction, you know, with, with the um, vehicles and machinery and heavy machinery all kind of leaving. And that stuff is all still there. Yeah, it's a terrible waste. And nobody seems to really mind. I don't know if they can ever even use it because now it's all turning orange and rusty. It's just be it's ruined. This is an incredible waste of taxpayer dollars. I think so. I mean, you know, why not just put it up, finish it up, you know, put up whatever's left. Uh, you know, listen, if if you believe that walls don't work, then just shrug your shoulders and smirk and go away, you know. Mm -hmm. But just don't care about it. Oh, well, it's not that it's not going to change anything. It's it's really $25 billion to build the wall, which is like what a B-2 bomber or something. I mean, it's not that in the scheme of things of, a, of all of a sudden everybody's a fiscal conservative when it comes to the yeah. wall, but but not much else. If you don't believe it works, you know, why are you saying anything at all about it? But the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is that the people who oppose it are always screaming bloody murder about it, how terrible it is, and just, we got to get rid of it. <laughs> that just tells me it works, and they know it works. Mm -hmm. Well, and on top of that, like you said, these drug smugglers are coming in to this country. There's other, you know, possibly criminals coming into this country, just walking through. And um, they even had on the news, this little boy was just by himself, a 10-year-old, walking and coming through and you know, that's child abuse well what's happening at the border right now is that we are suffering through the greatest mass migration crisis in american history 
we have never seen numbers anywhere close to these numbers that are of people who are coming to the border trying to cross it in the last uh, and if you look at the charts uh, the the of data that, that, that are published by the um, CBP you can see when it started and it started in November of 2020 uh, and then it it went straight straight skyward in January of 2021 you can trace this thing right to that day uh, because Trump had these policies that was keeping people out mm -hmm. nobody wanted to come nobody wanted to try to come it wasn't worth the money the smuggling money to show up at the border and get turned back and deported by Donald Trump and the Biden administration dismantled all of that on day one including you know stopping with the wall and uh, the entire world of aspiring migrants saw that, heard it, saw it, and was like, let's go. This is the time to go. And that's why that's, it's that simple. There aren't a lot of complexities to this. It's all about policy. And in the last uh, year and a few months, uh, we've seen 2.5 million people hit that border. The last time we saw anything close to that was in the year 2000, 22 years ago. Uh, we had a crisis back then, but it, even then it was nothing like this. Uh, so we have a tremendous number of people, city size, megalopolis size numbers of people crossing that border, and it's about to get really bad. Mm -hmm. uh, we really haven't even seen the worst of it yet um, uh, because there's this one last Trump policy called Title 42, which is a pandemic control policy and they just announced that they're getting rid of that on may 23rd and when they get rid of that it will be uh just about completely open borders there'll be no impediment whatsoever to anyone at all crossing and getting in and staying in uh, so they're anticipating about eighteen thousand, as many as eighteen thousand people a day which is five hundred and forty thousand a month uh, so you can do the math there and see that if it if it stays on course like that with those kind of numbers, we're looking at a really like kind of Los Angeles sized city coming into the country by the end of the year. I mean, the, the numbers are just astounding. It's mm -hmm. we've never seen any. It's broken every record, every record by far. Now, it was also. Um that they were giving these immigrants large amounts of money for coming into the country. Well, there's, there's a lot of uh, misinformation about that. The, the, the policy what, that caused the women and children to come in actually was uh, a, an exemption to the Title 42 uh, policy that I just told you about, partly. It's really important because Title 42 was requiring that we we return every single migrant that we caught to Mexico and remove the possibility of them claiming asylum. That was the big thing about Title 42. No asylum and you end up back in Mexico. Well, Biden came in and said, we're going to keep Title 42 for everybody except women, 
pregnant women uh, and families and unaccompanied minors because that was inhumane and cruel to put them back and make Mexico take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the substance of the crisis that happened was that it, the demographic was all families, mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of parents with children crossing, and uh, and also you know they you know they said we'll need we'll leave no child behind in Mexico as a matter of um, you know like a human hum, humanity. Uh, and so that's why you would see, you know, children wandering around alone because their parents just sent them over or sent for them, uh, either pushed them over or sent for them. And, you know, they would all get in and be well taken care of. And then at government expense, they would be reunited with relatives in the United States and flown to wherever they are. And uh, families that were coming through very often would get $4,400 for family when they crossed in and were paroled into the country. And uh, so, so you saw payments like that, uh, not to everybody, but to those who seem to qualify. And to this day, we don't know what the criteria is for that, but, but quite a few of them had checks for $4,400, uh, you know, so I don't know what that, what that is or how that's based or whatever. And then they also, uh, lots of them were given airfare and air transport to whatever city in the country they wanted to fly to. So I don't know, you know, and and some didn't. So I don't know how they, some did, some didn't. Um, But anyway, this was a uh, a family uh, migrant family crisis. Uh, for most of the time. After, Mar- uh, after May 23, though, all the single adults will uh, be turning themselves in in addition. And that's going to be, just to give you an idea, in the last year, Title 42 turned back about 1.7 million people who turned right back around and kept trying. Mm. Um, and about 40 to 60,000 of them got through a month, every month. But so they kept trying, but now those people won't have to run and get through. They'll just turn themselves in. So you could easily see 1.7 million more people coming through mm-hmm. that are being resettled into the country. I mean, nobody is going to be really turned back on, on, uh, after May 23rd that I can see they're going to just pretty much parole everybody into the country. It's going to be a real mayhem, mm-hmm. uh, be like something you've never seen before. And that's not according to me, that is the Washington post and Axios and wall street journal and NBC, ABC, CBS, everybody's reporting these numbers, uh, that, that the Biden administration thinks that it's going to have to contend with. And so, they're going to the Pentagon for troops. They have uh, gone to FEMA and um, they're arranging for FEMA to come down and treat this like a disaster zone. Uh, they are marshalling aircraft to be able to move these migrants all around the country so that they're not stuck on the riverbank for long periods of time. 
they are putting out calls for volunteers from other federal agencies. They've got hundreds so far. They're really getting ready for something that is just beyond the American experience. So get ready for that. You know, so this is costing the American taxpayer a boatload of money. You know, and I, I'm sorry these people are in distress, but I also heard that when these people enter the country and then they have to go before a parole board or something, that, yeah, yeah it's going to take years for that to happen. We'll say like two years. And by that time, those people aren't even going to show up. That's right. So the whole game on the border is about the asylum system. The asylum, the American asylum, I think that to really understand what's happening and why uh, you have to understand something about the asylum system. And that was the, the modern version of it is uh, kind of, can be kind of traced to the 1980 refugee act, but it goes beyond that to back to kind of the world war two post world war two era. And it's, 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 it was built for, you know, Jews fleeing Nazis and, it's for, you know, Vietnamese boat people fleeing communist re-education camps and North Korean defectors and people, Soviet refuseniks, uh, you know, that sort of thing. People who are really in distress for, of political uh, persecution. Um, but it allows you, if you can get onto U.S. territory by airplane or by the border, it allows anybody to make a claim like that you were like one of those people, that you were like a refusenik or, you know, somebody fleeing a Nazi, you know, Hitler type character or, and um, so the game is that you, they we take you at your word and then you, we, we don't, we, we don't have to verify. We just have to go by gut yeah, this person has credible fear, maybe it's, you know, we'll have to sort this out later. And then they are able to get a stay of deportation. If you say those words and come up with some kind of story without proof or anything, you get a stay of deportation. That's the game. Nobody wants anything beyond that. That's all anybody really goes for. And then, uh, you know, let you have a year to apply for asylum. But by that time, you're already in. Mm -hmm. So most of them don't bother to mm -hmm. apply. They just use it to get in. Uh, those who do apply, uh, who are economic migrants, uh, you know, don't, they're, they, they're ultimately turned down. About 5% of Guatemalans ever get asylum, 7% of Haitians. You know, most most of the people that are crossing the border, that the largest nationalities are economic migrants and immigration judges know it. So they reject their their claims by by vast majorities. They just these are the experts. They know that these people are not eligible. Uh, but when they get a decline, they just disappear. They they're supposed to be deported after they get a decline. But. Of course, that's just not the game. Mm -hmm. uh, but while you're waiting, uh, you know, so many people have put in for this thing that the wait list is now about four and a half to five years on average. 
So you get five, if you apply and go through it, you've got five years to put down roots. You get a social security card, you get work authorization, you get uh, qualified for any kind of welfare benefits or, you know, Obamacare or whatever you, whatever you want. It's almost like, like being a permanent resident Mm -hmm. during that five years. And so it's very alluring. I mean, the Trump administration's whole strategy was to take all that off the table and it worked. As -hmm. soon as he took all that off the table, I mean, it was like a narcotic drug. I mean, people were coming in and they still are. Um, And it's like the wall, you know, the migrant uh, advocacy industry was screaming bloody murder to put it all back the way it was because it, it let everybody in. (laughs) <laughs> then that's what they wanted. They wanted to let everybody in. So Trump took the asylum system off the table and the Biden administration put it back on the table, open access for anybody. And that's what caused this. That's why we're in this. They put it back the way it was. And now we have 2 million uh, people and we're about to uh, see the entire world come in and they're all going to claim this asylum. It's all bogus. Uh, there, there, there may be a few real ones in there, but I feel sorry for the real ones because, you know, they're just going to be in this long wait, uh, you, know, uh, you know, real, real asylum seekers um, are, are going to get, you know, pushed aside by, you know, Haitians mm-hmm. who are not legitimate asylum seekers and El Salvadorans and, Guada- and uh, Hondurans and, you know, those are just poor people. My heart goes out to them. I spend a lot of time with those people. Uh, I know them. I'm face to face with them all the time. They're not just numbers to me. I spend most of my time with them on the trail. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I often think that if I was one of them, I would do the exact same thing. I would, if I could take advantage of these gaps and loopholes to get into the United States, uh, I would do it. Uh, but, you know, there are 700 million people who live in the world who are under the, the who are in extreme poverty. And mm-hmm. asylum is not for people living in extreme poverty. They're for people who escaped gulags, mm-hmm. you know, in communist education camps. So it's a, it's a, it's a gross distortion and abuse of a noble purpose of a noble program. And I just think that countries, you know, have to draw the line about like, well, how many of the world's billions of poor people are we going to take in? Mm-hmm. Country has to be able to decide that. Yeah, and it's not just the United States. This is also happening to Great Britain. They're taking in immigrants are coming in there too, that they're not too thrilled about. I have friends over there that aren't thrilled. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. The European Union has had a uh, con- has had to contend with you know millions of migrants pouring over its borders, and you know what do you do with that? You know, I mean, you know, that you just cannot take the entire world on. Mm-hmm. At some point, somebody has to say, "Okay, uh, you, all you people, we're taking you in, but all the rest of you, we were not." Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to do that because you know, you look in their eyes and they all have a story and, uh, you know, they could, we could be them and I get it, but you know, 
life is harsh and sometimes you have to just make decisions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, and the stories they tell may not even be real. You could be talking to a sociopath that's telling you whatever, you know, you know how sociopaths are. <laughs> now that's true. Uh, it's absolutely true. The asylum system is uniquely prone to lying. All you have to do is just lie and make up a good story that fits what's working. What, what everybody who went before you said, oh, this, I told them that the, there was a cop on the corner who kept bothering me and it worked. I got in. So all of a sudden, everybody's talking about the cop on the corner, you know, the same cop on the corner doing the same exact thing. And, you know, asylum officers, I talk to them all the time and they just, you know, they're full of stories about, you know, just how totally obvious the lying is, but they, they're not allowed to do anything. They just have to check the yes box. So are they checking? Uh, well, I don't even know how they would check, but people with mental illnesses. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, mental illness. Um, well, you know, I mean, if, I think if somebody's a danger to themselves or to an immediate danger to themselves and others, we probably will put those people in a detention situation. I don't know if we're going to deport them. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we, uh, we don't really do dep- deportations of criminals are at the lowest they've ever been in this country. We stopped, de- we largely stopped deportation operations from the interior of the country. Uh, normally, if you're convicted of a felony uh, and you, spit, you serve your time, when you, when you get out, you are released to an ICE officer and you get deported. You never step foot in freedom again. You're just gone. But they suspended all of that. So now they're getting out and they're just running around and, you know, no, even serious offenders mm-hmm. no longer being deported. I think they, they'll still deport a serial killer or something, you know, but you have to be really, really, you know, bad, aggravated, you know, violent, aggravated uh, felon to even get consideration for deportation. And the officers have to call ICE headquarters to get special permission for each one of those. And half the time they say no. So a lot of Americans say, well, you know, they'll deport them once they kill one of ours. When they're dangerous and they do something to an American, then, then they'll get deported. Yeah, that's not happening anymore. Mm. Nobody thinks that's an issue. Oh, this is not good. Um, for, for example, um, you know, the, the president actually said in a press conference that he doesn't consider DWI felony a significant enough crime to deport a criminal alien who gets convicted of it. And DWI people kill our families all the time in senseless, you know, road tragedies. Uh, I mean, but he, he's on record. There's, I mean, it's almost, it's almost notorious that he said, yeah, DWI is not, not in my opinion. So we're not deporting anybody convicted of DWI or DUI. Um, so, you know, I, you know, what do you say to that? What do you do to that? Uh, they're not deporting DUI people. And I've got kids on the road myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
if you have a chance to get rid of, I mean, there's nothing we can do about an American citizen who gets convicted of DWI, really. Uh, but we certainly have this option of deporting uh, uh, criminal illegal aliens. Why not do it? Like, you know, at least get rid of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I agree. You know, so it took you quite a while to write this book. And, um, you know, it's very fascinating that you took all this time to write this book. And, you know, um, how are you, you know, is it being promoted well? Are you? Yeah, yeah. The book is the book has done uh, much better than expected. Uh, <laughs> it's a controversial topic. It's, you know, terrorists crossing the border is uh, kind of taboo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I approach it uh, in an academic way and, um, you know, I, I bore witness as a uh, intelligence practitioner in, on the inside of it. Um, I've traveled the world reporting mm-hmm. uh, this. I was in a pretty unique uh, position to talk about uh, how those uh, people from terrorism countries, countries of uh, national security concern are crossing the border uh, those people are still crossing the border now uh, when, when, oh, and, and, you know, the book, the book published in uh, about one year ago. Um, so it's in March, I'm about a year, a year into it. And it is, um, I think, more uh, prescient now than it was even then, because, you know, the, the, the border is so out of control uh, that, uh, and so many people are crossing and getting through and getting away and we're having to release everybody and all of our normal systems are just down, mm-hmm. uh, including America's covert border war is down. These programs uh, have evidence that the things are really breaking down even for that. Um, I'll give you just a couple examples. In December, uh, Lebanese, lots of Venezuelans are coming over the border. So in December, uh, a Lebanese-born Venezuela swam, Venezuelan swam the Rio Grande. Uh, and when he was caught, they ran his fingerprints and his name and everything. And he came out as an F, on the FBI's terrorism watch list as a Category 5 group member uh, with substantial derogatory intelligence he was, uh, FBI went down there and judged him to be a high risk and a flight risk. Uh, so uh, they recommended that he continue to be detained and not released. And ICE headquarters, for reasons that are uh, unclear, <clears throat> ordered him released anyway. Uh, and he's running around in Detroit pursuing an asylum claim. Uh, normally, you know, nobody who's on the FBI's terrorism watch list who crosses the U.S. border and gets caught uh, gets anything except deported uh, away. They all get deported. Uh, but something broke down in the system uh, where he was released and he's still free. Uh, somebody leaked the documents about this case, which I have now, and that's how we the only way we know about it. Uh, I'm, I assume that that there are many other cases like that. Uh, that to me is a system breakdown, uh, mm-hmm. the American America's covert border war breakdown. Um, there was another one that that's worth mentioning too. Uh, this one happened in Mexico, a Yemeni who 
the Mexicans caught in April of last year, uh, about one year ago now, and he flagged on the FBI's terrorism watch list. People from those parts of the country, we give them the uh, FBI their name. The Mexicans work with the FBI. So that's how they knew that he was watch listed. The FBI went and interviewed him in Mexico and they deported him back to Yemen, which is the normal thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy came back and they caught him again, uh, right on the northern border, about to cross into Del Rio, Texas, and they got him. Uh, and this time, they nobody deported him. He was in Mexican custody for five months. I don't know why they didn't deport him, but a normal process would be deportation. And instead, the Mexicans needed to flush their detention center. Uh, it was getting full. Was, we had a really a big month in July of last year. Hundreds of thousands coming through. The Mexicans are just as swamped as the Americans. And so the Mexicans just let him go into the public and they don't know whatever happened to him. He just disappeared. They put a, an alert out for him, be on the lookout for this guy. Mm-hmm. I have it. Uh, he's expected to cross at Del Rio, and et cetera. He's on the watch list. He's considered dangerous and uh, he's a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a breakdown. And that breakdown is because of this mass migration crisis. Uh, I suspect that that's, those are not the only cases like this. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, the threat is elevated. Uh, I've got my fingers crossed uh, that nothing bad is going to happen, that maybe they're too few and far between, but you know, who knows mm-hmm. in, when, when you have a situation like this. Right, because you know, these people are obviously coming over here with no passports. And uh, I read about Saudi Arabia that you don't need a passport to even get into that country. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot. A they when they, when a lot of these people cross the border, they get rid of their identification and whatever they used. A lot of it's fraudulent documentation, so they they don't that they use to get through South American countries. So, uh, but it's evidence of you know document fraud and you know other things. So they toss it. You can find all this stuff on the riverbank in Mexico piles and piles for hundreds of yards of just discarded uh, documents and personal identities. And they cross in and say, my name is Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's on you. Mm-hmm. you know, figure out if I'm not Mickey Mouse. And that's how it works. That's where we are with all of this. Um, you know, I was um, uh, last year discovered on the Mexican side of the river b- bank uh, the Rio Grande, hundreds and hundreds of discarded Chilean ID cards uh, with the faces of Haitians on them. And what that was about is that the Haitians who have been crossing by the thousands and claiming that they're persecuted, government persecuted uh, political asylum refugees, claiming asylum, uh, you know, I can't go back to Haiti. Uh, you know, Haiti's terrible. I've been living in Chile for years and Brazil. And if you've been living safely in another country with residency uh, and work authorization, you are ineligible for Americanness. You're not going to get it. So they throw their cards down because it's evidence uh, against it. They're not going to be able to get through 
if they end up getting caught with these ID cards. So they, there are just thousands of them all over the ground. Mm-hmm. It's the whole thing is just a, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a game. It's a scam. The whole mm-hmm. thing is just the whole asylum thing. Whatever you're hearing about these poor, they have to have access to the asylum system is not about asylum. Mm-hmm. It's about how do I avoid deportation? And the way you avoid deportation is say, man, I, I'm a declaring asylum. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. I was persecuted. That's it. You're in. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I won't keep you too much longer, but when you were in, you know, you've been in 30 countries, you know, the Middle East and, uh, all these countries, was there a time that you were like really worried that you might not come home? Uh, yeah, there, there have been a couple of things that happened. I spend, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in territories. Well, it's not really so much just being in, you know, whatever, Costa Rica or Southern Mexico or Guatemala. It's, it's the places that you go <laughs> to find <laughs> the stories. And uh, yeah, I have I have had some uh, threats and have had to flee and run and dodge people mm-hmm. and get away and that sort of thing uh, from time to time. Wouldn't say it's all the time, but there have been a couple of those. Uh, you know, you're dealing with um, smugglers, people who are uh, illegal involved in illegal uh, businesses, and you know, some of them are pretty sketchy. You know, mm-hmm. I I met. Um, and have interviewed cartel uh, smugglers and human smugglers and traffickers down in Costa Rica and Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched um, Costa Rican uh, smugglers hand over their uh, human uh, commodities to Nicaraguan soldiers who were armed right in front of me. Uh, you know, who are on the take. And so, I mean, the whole thing is, uh, you know, the whole, I guess, industry of human smuggling is really wealthy and vast. Mm -hmm. And everybody is making huge amounts of money from it, especially the Mexican cartels. Uh, The Mexican cartels are now making more money from human smuggling over the border than from drugs for the first time ever. Uh, they're making, there's so many people coming and they're charging them like, you know, $2,500 a head to just cr- cross the river. Uh, and if it's a family, so you're looking at, you know, $75,000, $7,500, it's huge money. And um, there's so many that the cartels actually have had to put in place uh, for the first time ever an inventory control system. Mm-hmm. where they require that you buy wristbands uh, to show that you paid and you have to show the uh, raftsman, uh, the boat pilot, your wristband before they, you can get on. It's very organized. And these wristbands, the, kid, the, the families come over and every single one of them has a wristband. Even the infants have one around their, their ankles. Uh, and then, you know, there are just thousands and thousands of these. They tear them off when they're done and they're all over the ground. And it's just all, you know, evidence of how much money is being made and how, how they've got a control over it and um, how industrialized, I guess it is, uh, the conveyor belt 
Um, when these, when the cartels are delivering rafts filled with women and children to the U.S. side, they're not hiding. They're doing it at established uh, points where on, on our side are border patrol agents who are receiving them mm -hmm. and, and clocking them in. Like nobody's running. And then the, 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 the cartel pilots are on a first name basis with the national guardsmen at the, on our side or the police officers, or it's really, everything is just completely upside down, turned on its head that all the normal, you know, cats are friends with mice and mm -hmm. dogs are friends with cats and the whole thing is just unbelievable i mean i don't think if you could go down to the river tonight any mm -hmm. night and just see a d-day invasion just all night long of just raft four five six abreast just coming and landing and going back for more and coming and landing and just thousands coming in i mean it's it's like Ellis Island, man. I mean, it is, I don't think the American people really understand what's happening to, to, to the, the scale, the vastness of what's happening down there. It's just um, amazing and nobody's doing anything to stop it. It's just a welcome wagon. It's a welcome committee on our side. At the taxpayer's expense. Well, yeah. And then yeah. at, at what expense we don't know because because when you when you try to ask uh, for information, uh, it's all they're hiding the ball. You can't get an answer about who's getting paid and and out of what funds or the whole thing is opaque and anything but transparent. Mm -hmm. I mean, eventually we'll find out, uh, but it's going to take litigation to mm -hmm. get the get the material. Right, and we're going to find out the hard way is what's going to happen. Well, is there, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, you know, no, but just not really, but um, you know, the second phase of this crisis is, is upon us. And so uh, you, you, I don't know if the media is going to cover what's about to happen, but the numbers are about to go through the, I mean, if they're in the stratosphere now, they're about to go into outer space. Uh, we will, we have never seen anything like we've seen in the last year. But man, you have never seen what's about to happen. It is going to be really um, catastrophic. I mean, you are going to have, you know, 500,000 people every month coming in, at least, uh, you know, and, and maybe a lot more. I mean, I just, it's, it's hard to tell, but, but the entire world of uh, poor people uh, who are not asylum seekers, but they're just poor people are going to be watching how the people ahead of them get through, whether they get through and how they're getting through. And when they do get through, when we let them through, that's going to trigger everybody in the village, everybody in the town, everybody in the city to just head this way from wherever you are in the world. 40% of everybody who's hitting the southern border are not from Central America or Mexico. They're from 150 different countries. Uh, that's brand new. Uh, this is like a, a global migration to a border uh, from all these different countries. And, you know, good luck calling, you know, the Ghanaian or the Sierra Leone 
government and asking for their intelligence records or their criminal history on anybody. None of that's going to be happening. Mm -mm. So just be on the lookout. Uh, your schools, uh, you'll see it first in your schools, uh, you know, portable classrooms. If all of a sudden you're having bond elections and they're not telling you why uh, they need all these portable classrooms and uh, they, they, they have a shortage of ESL teachers, all that's going to cost you money. You're going to be paying increased taxes, first of all, in your schools and your um, your kids' classrooms are going to be filled with people who don't speak English and maybe have never been in school before. Uh, and so that's, I think, where people are going to feel it first and be able to really see it. Uh, they should already be able to see it. Most definitely. Most, you know, um, how can, okay, where can people find your book? America's Covert Border War is available anywhere books are sold. Uh, you get it at your bookstore. You can um, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, wherever. I mean, if you Google America's Covert Border War, you can find it anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and my, um, I'm on Twitter, Benzman Todd, if you want to follow me on Twitter. I have a website, toddbensman.com, uh, uh, where you can sign up for my newsletter and see all my work there. So I'm pretty easy to find, toddbensman.com. Well, I thank you for coming on my show. I really appreciate your time. That was fascinating. Happy you've to done, be here. Thank you. You've done so much work with this book, and I'm very glad you've written it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. I'm working well, on another one right now. Uh, oh, good. It should be out this summer. I think we're going to try to get it out this summer about this border crisis that we've been talking about this morning. Mm -hmm. Oh, that. Then we'll have another podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption and Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Mr. Todd Benson and other guests. Thank you again. Thank you.